Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Welcome to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. This is the podcast where I talk about overcoming the tests and trials of life, and I, I do so by taking a what you might call a pragmatist's look at the Bible, at God's promises, and at spiritual things. What I mean by that, by a pragmatic approach, by a, a practical approach. In other words, we can look at things from, a, um, from an intellectual standpoint. We can talk about topics um, such as uh, eternal security and Arminianism versus Calvinism and all of those things. And and at the end of the day, most people go into those discussions already determining what they believe. Not everybody, but most people. And, and then, you know, we enter into a, a debate over why the Bible is saying this and not that. And I think at the end of the day, none of that stuff really edifies anybody. It doesn't build somebody up in such a way that their day is made better for it. And I'm trying to um, uh, minimize... Uh, the importance of of learning um, some of these things about uh, salvation and and life and prayer and the Holy Spirit and well, I'm saying that when we look at it from simply a textbook uh, approach or textbook mindset, a lot of times we lose um, the practical application. Think about this for a minute: the way Jesus subscribed the kingdom um, of heaven, he didn't talk in terms of, of um, uh, in intellectual terms. He used things that the everyday person could understand. He used uh, a lot of natural things in the world around him, such as trees and mountains and streams and, and life, all of the things that God created to illustrate a lot of really great truths. And, you know, when we look at some of these things, we wish that we had more of an explanation, more insight. In other words, instead of just Jesus just giving like a verse or two on a on a particular thought, and then somebody, you know, years later down the road writes an entire book on it, we kind of wish that maybe Jesus would have wrote an entire book just on that topic alone. But there's a reason why he didn't do that, and there's a reason why the Bible says what it what it does. Because maybe think about it this way: if you were going to be leaving this earth. And you wanted to leave some instructions for those who would follow. Maybe your sons or your daughters or your nieces and nephews or your cousins or, or somebody. You know, you want to leave a, a piece of you behind. Um, what would you do? Maybe you can make a bunch of recordings. Listen to this on your 16th birthday or listen to this before you get married. And, I mean, we've seen movies where this kind of thing is illustrated. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't stay dead. The Bible says on the third day he rose again. Then he appeared to all the disciples and then he imparted the Holy Spirit to them. Before he did that, he made this statement. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will be sent. And the helper basically took over Jesus's ministry when he left the earth. In other words, there was always, well, as long as Jesus was here on this earth, then the power of God was kind of centrally located. Wherever Jesus went, that's where the power of God went. But when the Holy Spirit came, now the Spirit is available to all who believe. Every single believer can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the power of God working in and through them. I believe every 
every believer has the Holy Spirit. But if we want to get into one of these debates about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, for example, in the Gospel of John, in the last few chapters, it says Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit, which would be coming on the day of Pentecost. So there were two givings of the Holy Spirit that we can see there. One is in the Gospel of John, and the other is a second experience which happened in the book of Acts. So the idea here isn't to debate about what technically it means to be filled with the Spirit and should every person be praying in tongues. Looking at it from a more practical point of view instead of an intellectual one, whatever God has made available to me, I would like to have in my life. And so whatever experience, whatever gifts of the Spirit, whatever insights that are available to me right now today with where I'm living, that's what I would like to receive. Why? Because today I'm facing challenges that I didn't face in the past, right? That's why the Bible says through much tribulation, many trials and testings, we go, we enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says there would be tests and trials. Why? Because there's evil in the world, and it manifests itself in many different ways. Sometimes it manifests itself in situations through people, through circumstance. And so, but the knowing that you have the Holy Spirit with you is basically the same thing as having Jesus with you. It just doesn't feel that way because there's nothing that we can reach out and touch and see. So in other words, the Holy God is, has been talking to you, believe it or not, probably most of your life. Now, and hindsight being what it is, you can look at times where you can see that that still, small voice spoke to you and told you to do or not to do something. And a lot of times it wasn't until hindsight that you realize that that was the Lord speaking to you, right? And so that when the Holy Spirit comes, it says he shall not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, that will he speak. So if, if you passed on from this world right now, we're standing in front of Jesus, and you said, Lord, when did you speak to me in my lifetime? He could probably pull back the curtain, and then you will be able to relive certain situations that you went through in your life when that still small voice on the inside if you told you to do something. And then Jesus will probably just look at you and say, that was me. That was me prompting you, per me personally prompting you. So you have to, you mem you have to remember this is that... Um, God can have the best relationship ever with you and with me. He's not limited where, you know, if you're the father of, let's say you have 20 kids. Can you imagine that? It's almost impossible to have an equal relationship with all 20 of them because there's simply not enough time in the day to have a conversation with 20 kids and do everything else. And then every person has every different needs. You know, it's impossible to do. But with God, it's totally different. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he knew us from the foundations of the earth. So again, we can get into a lot of debate about exactly what that means. But let's just take it for what it says on the surface. He knew us. So whether we were up there in a different form, like spirit beings, or like some people say we were uh, before we came down to this earth, or whether it was something else, um, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't change the truth that God knows you, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And some people say, well, I'm not really fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm too short or 
I'm too, uh, too tall or I put on weight too easy. I don't put on enough weight. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that you could look at. But when, when you look at the complexity of your, of your person, the real you, you know, we're, we're living in a fallen world. And, you know, if God had crafted your, your body by hand, I'm sure you would look just as great as Adam and Eve did in the garden. But the point is we're, we're born, we're like, um, if you think about how the, all of the generations <clears throat> have passed and, um, you know, there's, there's some breakdown in the, in the physical natural system. Right? That's why the Bible says flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, but the real you, it, flesh and blood is just kind of like the clothing that you wear in this realm that we're living in. But the real you, the eternal you, the, the personality, um, the, the skills, all of that that make up you, that's the person that was fearfully and wonderfully created. That's the person God knew before the foundations of the earth. So when you get there, you can ask how it works. But it's kind of fruitless to debate what some of these things exactly mean, uh, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, we're just human beings. You know, we haven't been up there. Like God said to Job, where were you when I created the uh, foundations of the earth? And, uh, you know, people try to explain and get scientific about everything, but you know, there's, there's certain things that we haven't even seen yet that we can't even compare apples to apples because they're just beyond what we're capable of comprehending. For example, people ask the question, well, where did God come from? Well, God didn't, God's not a man. He didn't need a beginning. You know, be, man has a beginning and an end. Everything in this world has a beginning and the end. But there's an eternal world that doesn't require a beginning. And, and somebody says, well, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I don't understand it either, but I don't have to understand it. You know, if I only if I only believed in the things that I understood, then um, I I wouldn't believe in much of anything. I mean, I I believe in the laws of of um, lift. Yeah, I was on an airplane a, a few weeks ago, and a few airplanes, and I I believed that all of that does exactly what they said it would do, and I I don't know how it worked. I don't know how everything works. You know, I don't know how to land a plane, but I believe that the guy up there was adequately trained. I never even set eyes on the guy or maybe the girl in some cases, right, who was flying the plane. I, don't, I didn't know. You know, I just went by faith. You know, I don't know how, uh, you know, I'm not a certified electrician. I don't know how that works, but I know, you know, it's just the simple basics. You know, if I flip the switch and the light bulb hasn't blown out, it'll, the, the light bulb will come on. You know, there, I know where the main circuit breaker in the house is, but do I know how everything's connected? Do I know how the electrical grid works? No, I don't know how any of that works, but I benefit from it, and I don't have to know. But suddenly when we talk about spiritual things, we have to know, and that's where science makes such a big mistake because instead of leaving missing parts missing and saying, well, this is what we, don't, this is what we know, the rest is a theory, they just fill in the blanks, whatever they think fits at the time, and that's why they're always being proven wrong. You know, one of the ways we can, another thing we can examine that is food. If you've been around for a little while, you remember back in the 70s, they said eating a certain way was healthy. And then in the 80s, they said, no, that was wrong. And this is right. And then the 90s, they did the same thing. And then in the 2000s, they did the same thing. And they're still doing the same thing today. Right? So that means they've been wrong, 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 wrong. But with the latest iteration, everybody always believes, well, this is the one. This is the one that's really true. But let's push all of that to the side for a minute because what I want to talk about is what Bible calls the blessing and the cursing. Now, when it comes to uh, spiritual things, I look at it like this. Everything we see, this whole world 
around us is being upheld by things that we can't see. According to the Bible, it says, uh, God is upholding all things by, quote, the word of his power. The word of his power. Some people call it the power of his word. But that's what the Bible says. So, obviously, there are all kinds of systems. I mean, we can see all kinds of ecosystems in nature. We can see all kinds of little systems in the human body. We can see systems in nature, but to, to believe that there are not equally complex systems in that invisible world uh, doesn't make any sense. There are invisible systems that are making things the way they are. And a great example of that is in the life of Jesus when we see him doing the miraculous. But anyway, getting back to this principle about uh, blessing and cursing, let me uh, read this scripture to you from John chapter 16, verse 33. I love the Gospel of John. This is from the American King James Version. And what I like about it, it's so personal. You know, you hear Jesus' prayer in the garden uh, recorded. And, um, I mean, it's just, you, you can't get much more personal than that. What, you know, when you read the red in the Bible and Jesus speaking, it's there's just something about that. I don't know if you feel this way or not, but I do. It makes you feel uh, spend extra close attention. It's all inspired. I God inspired uh, these men to speak and record and do all of this. And it's only by the power of God that it survived as it has uh, to this day. But Jesus says in the 33rd verse of John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Well, if you look at that verse on the surface, you might think to yourself, I mean, it's like, imagine somebody come up to you, somebody who, who said to you, you know, um, it, you're going to have a hard time in the world, but be of good cheer, um, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, or I just won the lottery. You might think, okay, well, I'm happy for you. I can be of good cheer because I'm glad that you've overcome, but I still have my life to live in these challenges. Are you saying that I can be of good cheer because you're going to let me in on some of your winnings? <laughs> you know, that's probably how I'd be thinking, just being honest with you. The, the key to this verse is um, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me right there, in me, you might have peace. What does that mean, in me? Well, you can look up the, the phrases in him, in Christ, in whom, uh, all the way through the New Testament. They appear over and over again. So the Bible basically tells us that when you believe, we are in Christ. And what, what does that mean? Well, obviously, there's not like a big Jesus walking around. You know, we all climb up the steps and go inside, and that's where we live. Obviously, this is a spiritual truth. So if you're, if you're looking for natural ways to, to illustrate it, the best one, I think, and it comes right from the Bible, is the, the body, the human body. The, the Bible refers to it as the body of Christ, refers to the, uh, referring to the church. And the body is the illustration because every piece is interconnected. And in, in, in certain parts, it'll have explanations like, you know, not every part of the body has the same glory as the other part. Some of the parts of the body have a lot less glory or given a lot less attention than others. But the eye can't say, you know, I have no need of the ear. Each part needs to be working and doing its function. 
Well, the believers are part of the body of Christ, meaning that it calls him the head, we're the body. Whatever happens to the hand happens to the body. If you smack somebody in the face, it's not like their knees don't care, <laughs> right? I mean, that's a simple way. I, if each part of the body was conscious, it had its own separate consciousness, then I guess, you know, we could look at that and really understand it even to a deeper level. I just say that in jest, but in other words, if, if part of your body is experiencing something, so is the rest of your body. If you win, you as an individual, your whole body wins. Okay, so uh, if you get a financial windfall, then every part of you benefits from it, from your hair all the way down to your toes. Um, you know, if, if you fall into the um, freezing river, then every part of you suffers. Even if the, the tippy hair on the top of your head isn't submerged in water, it, believe me, your hair is just as unhappy as the rest of you. In other words, we all win, we all lose, we all rise, we all fall together. It's just one body. So when he says, be of good cheer, overcome the world, what he's basically saying is, is that the, the flesh and blood uh, part of our being, it doesn't profit anything. It's only the things that are done by the power of God's spirit that are lasting, that are uh, stand the test of time. Um, so let me hit the rewind button for a minute and talk about this concept of blessing, right? Because Jesus was the one that Abraham was talking about was coming. God made a promise to Abraham way back in the Old Testament. He said, you know, you get out from among your family and you go into the land that, I wish, that I'm going to show you. And I will bless you coming in and bless you coming out. You know, I'll bless your allies. I'll curse your enemies. Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. And there's all these blessings. And these blessings follow all the way down through the Bible. Eventually, you know, God promised Abraham that he would have a son and that he would be the heir of the promise. And he did. You know, Isaac was the heir. And then there came a time when Isaac was going to produce an heir. And if you remember the story correctly, um, Isaac had two sons. The eldest was named Esau, and the youngest was named Jacob. And you know that when the Bible in the New Testament refers back to the old, they always talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It kind of stops there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were the, the promises. But why do you think it stopped there? Well, basically... Jacob had 12 sons, and those became the 12 tribes of Israel. And you know what happened after they came out of Egypt. Eventually, Joseph went into Egypt and became uh, the second under the Pharaoh, but he passed on, and after he passed on, a new generation of Egyptians took power, and they didn't remember the previous generation. Every generation seems to forget the lessons of those that pre preceded it. Every generation seems to want to forge its own path, have its own uh, signature, if you will, um, to that generation. They want their own music, right? They want their own entertainment. I think this was the same all the way down through history. You know, I, Isaac probably wasn't exactly like his father Abraham, and neither was Jacob like Isaac. And then, you know, of course, what happened with the 12 sons and the two kingdoms, and it's just, it's just an incredible story. But the blessing is passed down. So um, after Isaac was nearing the end of his life, he passed the blessing down. Now, before I get into that, 
And I don't want to really belabor this, but I want to pull a few things out. Um, God chose to bless um, Abraham. Now, Abraham wasn't under the Ten Commandments. Those hadn't come yet. That, that wasn't until Moses, right? That's Moses, remember, brought them out of Egypt. Joseph got them into Egypt. Moses got them out of Egypt. It was a totally different Egypt, you know? It's kind of like if you think about, um, if you live in the United States, think about the, the country that your forefathers came into. It's a different country today than it was back then. But Abraham lied twice in the book of Genesis um, about his wife, Sarai, who became Sarah. He lied in Genesis chapter 12, verses, you can read it, verses 10 through 20, and he lied again in chapter 20, basically because he had a beautiful wife and he was afraid, first in Egypt, that he would be killed by the Egyptians and that they would take Sarah as their own wife because she was very beautiful. And then again, the same thing happened again um, when Abraham journeyed to a place called um, Gerar, and there was Ambimelech, the king there. He lied to him also. So here's a man who is blessed coming, blessed going, who's outright lying, and those lies are not, uh, the, the blessing isn't hinging on him telling the truth. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Verse number three it says, But God came to Ambimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are but a dead man, for the woman which you have taken, she is a man's wife. So, interesting here. God is ready to punish Ambimelech when Ambimelech outwardly didn't seem to do anything wrong. I mean, if somebody introduces somebody as the sister and it's really the wife, I mean, how could you be to blame for that? But, but yet, God didn't hold Abraham accountable. That's how blessed he was. Now, I'm not saying if he kept on lying that, he, that bad things wouldn't happen. Arguably, maybe that's why it took so long for his son to come to pass, because of certain things that God was working out in his character or with his faith. I don't know. Again, those are all—that um, could be true and that could be totally false. I don't know. I'm just saying that sometimes we wonder why things are a certain way. But God already knows the choices we're going to make, right? So take somebody like Moses, you know, why couldn't he have led Egypt out years earlier? You know, why? Because he wasn't ready yet. He had to make his mistakes and go live out most of his life on the backside of the desert before God would come to him again and say, now you're ready. You know, some of the things that we're going through, it's just that, you know, we make lousy choices. We don't understand it. We justify the stupid things that we do. And we don't see it until we look back on it, until we're through that part, that season in life. It's just the way it is. But why I'm pointing this out about Abraham is that the blessings were not based on, per, on performance. In other words, his righteousness was God's righteousness imparted to him. God blessed Abraham, and the blessing caused him to be righteous in God's eyes, not his own actions. As we can see here, he, he not only did he lie once, he lied twice. Maybe he lied more than that. The Bible only records those two, but he was a man. He was a human being just like the rest of us are. And so this idea of the blessing, now we come back to Isaac. The blessing was passed on to him. And then uh, Jacob wanted the blessing. You know, basically Esau sold his birthright out for some stew. 
But, um, you know, Jacob kind of tricked Isaac because Isaac wasn't, um, you know, he was older. He couldn't see very well at the time. And, and he imparted the blessing that was going to go to Esau, the firstborn, to Jacob. And what happened after that? It says that Esau just wailed greatly. In other words, these people had faith in the blessing and they had faith in the curse. So people today in, in our society, they don't have, uh, I mean, a blessing is kind of like saying, you know, God bless you. A whole lot of thought doesn't go into it. God bless you. But you're not seriously imparting power and energy into somebody else's life when you're doing it. You're not like consciously thinking that. You're not consciously feeling that deep down in your heart. If you do, it has a totally different effect. For example, the Bible says in the Old Testament, a curse without cause will not alight. So they actually believed that blessings had power, and they believed that cursings had power in this time and in Jesus' time. They believed in blessing. They believed in curses. Genesis, or Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not and to seeds as of many, but as, but as of one, and to your seed, which is Christ. That's a complicated way of saying that Abraham's promise wasn't to like a whole giant group of people. It was to one person, the seed, which is Christ, which was Jesus. So all of the blessings of God, apart from the law, came upon Jesus. And not only did Jesus keep the law, but he paid the penalty for all of those who did not keep the law. And when he knocks on the door of your heart and you open it up to him, he said, I will come in, my father will come in, and we will have supper with you. You know, it's like the ultimate food. In If you look at how they shared meals in the Old Testament, and especially like the Last Supper when they sat together, it is, it is a place of bonding. So what Jesus is saying that he will come in and, and he will fellowship with you and he will sup with you, it's like saying that he will bond with you. Not only will he be in you, but you will be in him. And when you're in him, you are blessed. So this brings us to the point where people can intellectually say, I can see that in the Bible. I agree it. I agree with it. I agree that Jesus is blessed. I agree that I'm in him and I'm blessed. But you don't understand that our house, our mortgage is valued at higher than, uh, I'm paying more than the house is worth. Or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm barely able to pay the taxes every year. Or I don't have enough money to go back to school. Or, you know, I've been to the doctor and all they do is prescribe, you know, pain medication and the problem isn't solved. Or... You know, our business is really doing poorly. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And there is a disconnect between the practical application of truth and, and the mental admiring of it, like we do in a classroom type of setting, right? I mean, think about the whole education system. You know, if you pass tests, you're rewarded. But how much of that information actually gets applied in a real-world setting? You know, and, and that's to not minimize a, a classroom experience. I'm saying that you can't stop there. You have to go beyond the classroom into life. And this is where uh, simple faith comes in. Now, I look at it like this. If Jesus is going to use like picture language, like I'm in him and he's in me, 
And he's not going to drill down uh, further than I'm going to use picture language also to help me understand how I can make this more practical and more usable in my life. And what I mean by that is, so recently I started thinking that, okay, I am blessed. Even though the circumstances seem to may say other words in certain areas, What? how am I going to approach this? What's a simple way to approach this? Well, I think that if um, instead of looking at faith as something that you're intellectualizing, yes, I believe. Part of you is saying you believe, and part of you is saying you don't believe. Part of you believes that God hears you, but then several days later, when it doesn't look like anything has changed, you begin to question if you've been heard. And when that happens, and you're in the middle of a test or trial, you always go back. It seems like that voice that's telling you you need to perform better. You know, you're not praying enough, you're not kind enough, you're not giving enough. And as long as you look at yourself, there will always be a visible reason that you can point to at least one as to why you're not seeing better results in your life, as to why you're not seeing a kind of breakthrough that you need. I don't care what you're talking about, money, health, relationships, work, whatever it is. But I found that if you look at the blessing of Abraham, the blessing carried, uh, covered everything. Right? The blessing means that whatever he put his hand to began to prosper. You may think, well, you know, everything I put my hand to, every, t- every time that I try to make pro- progress, I struggle. But, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We speak cursings all the time without even recognizing it. And we believe what we say. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Jesus said, whoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe the things he says will come to pass, he'll have whatsoever he saith. So I believe when people say, you know what, this is hard, this is miserable, this is tough. When they say that, they believe what they're saying and they're actually keeping themselves in a loop. They're actually giving power to that situation to remain in their lives, to remain hard, to remain frustrating. This is so frustrating. Whenever it rains, it pours. Why does everything have to be so hard? When you say that and you believe it, you're actually giving it license, if you believe what the Bible says, for it to remain in your life. And if something remains long enough, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And and so I believe from a practical perspective, place of wanting to see something better in life, I believe that the only way to reverse it is to go back to these scriptures, look at the blessing, right? What does it say here in Galatians chapter 3 verses, let me start in verse 29. It says, for you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If this had been written in our time, they'd probably say there's neither black or white, right? There's neither white or Asian, right? You're You're all one. And then it says in verse 29, if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. If you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs of what? Heirs of all the blessing. Here's the thing. A 
true blessing has to cover everything. Some people think, well, all blessings are just spiritual. Well, the entire world that we're living in comes out of the spiritual world. The entire dimension that we live in comes from the spiritual dimension. It's being held by it. Right, so so if if the blessing touches a person, it has to touch every part of their existence. Just like we were talking about the body before. If you're blessed, that means you have to be blessed physically, spiritually, and uh, materially. Now I know people get sidetracked when you say materially because we live here in the United States of America, and you know people have been preaching for years that. You know, you should be driving like the newest, latest car and have the newest, latest software on your computers and, and all of that. You know, and, and it does say, you know, Paul himself said, right, being influenced by the Holy Spirit. He said that if ha- having adequate food and clothing for today, that to be content with that, be content with such things as, as you have. Because Jesus said, I never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, you don't have to store up things to have security. Right? Because you have the, the store of everything you need on the inside of you. Through the, you have the spirit inside you, so you have everything you need. Even if it's not under lock and key on your property right now, it will be in your, in your hands when you need it. So you don't have to store up in fear that God won't move on your behalf when he needs to move. But the idea here is blessing and increase. In other words, though, the, though your beginning be small, it says, do not despise the day of small beginnings, For though your beginning be small, your latter end shall be great. Yeah, that's a word for somebody if you if you receive it. So don't don't despise the fact that you know you're maybe you have like the second or third best of of something right now. Because this is not the end. But you just have to acknowledge that maybe, you know, you've been speaking more cursings than blessings. So maybe you should start saying, you know what, my business is blessed. It's blessed because of Jesus, because I'm in Jesus, right? If Abraham, if you said, Abraham, why are you so blessed? Are you blessed because you always tell the truth? Well, he would have to think about it and say, well, you know, there was that time. And, and then you say, hey, wasn't there that other time in chapter 20? Yeah, yeah, there was that. And then there was this time and, you know, God was nice enough not to even record it. <laughs> it's, not even, it's not even in the book of Genesis, right? I mean, think about your own life, right? All of your sins have been washed away. But you have to believe it. You are forgiven and you're loved. You're blessed. You have to believe it and you have to start saying it before you see it. Right? If you wait to say, think about this, how salvation works. If you wait to say Jesus is Lord until you get into the heavenly world and and you say it because you see him, because you see him sitting on the throne, because you see all the angels around him, it's too late. You have to say it now down here when you can't see it. That's when you have to believe it. Right? You don't have to believe something when you can see it. Well, when you're blessed, you won't have to believe it. You'll know it. You have to believe you're blessed before you see it. Right now, you probably believe you're cursed because you see it. Right? People, people believe in the financial curse because they look at their checkbook or they look at their bank balance. People believe they're cursed in their health because every time they get up, there's pain in this part, this part, and this part. Right? But what did Jesus say to lepers? Go show yourself to the priests. And they went, and it says they were healed as they went. Why? Because they believed. Of course, only one came back to thank him, but you're going to have to start believing before the fact with everything. Right? The part of the Bible that you believe is the part that works for you. 
Right? When you get to heaven, everything works because there's no adversary there. And, and you don't have to wrestle with a carnal mind. That'll be left behind. So anyway, I just want to encourage you to do that. Maybe print out a few scriptures. I have some scriptures that are on the back door. Or they're actually on the back of my front door. And we see them when we come in and when we go out. I have these little cards that I printed out, and they have some scriptures on them, and one's in each bathroom. And so I see those things. Do those things feel real every day? Absolutely not. You know, but, but even knowing these things, I've been remiss in doing some of them in my own life. And some of them I've been really, you know, I, I stuck with them. But I'm, like I said, I'm human just like you are, and I don't do it all the time. And so, you know, you have to think about something, right? Instead of trying to believe, just put God between you and your problem. Put Jesus, put the Holy Spirit between you and your problem. Put all three there, if, if you can, mentally, deep down in your heart. Put them between, and, and ask yourself, does that problem, can that problem actually stand up against them? And see, it's a totally different thing than trying to get them to do something, right? Because according to the Bible, we're already seated in heavenly places. We've already been blessed, Right, so what's missing? I believe it's what we've been saying. And I'm not trying to say name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I'm trying to talk about death and life being in the power of the tongue and us inadvertently talking about problems and issues and, 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 and believing in what we're saying because we're seeing it and getting pulled out of that world that God has for us and pulled down to an earthly level, kind of like an eagle eating with chickens. Right, We were meant to fly, and if you're going to fly, you're going to have to inspire yourself and the way you inspire yourself is by opening your mouth and beginning to speak truth. Right? Truth that God has already ordained, truth that God has already put his stamp of approval on. And instead of trying by human effort to believe it, just keep your eyes on God, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on the Holy Spirit, because by looking at them, the fear will dissipate. Maybe immediately, maybe by degrees, but you, you can't look at, you can look at them or you can look at the problems. If you have one eye on both, it's like you're double-minded and you'll always be unstable. you got to make your mind up that today you're going to commit to take your eyes off the problem, put your eyes on the Father, put your eyes on Jesus, put your eyes on the Holy Spirit and begin to speak those blessings and, and realize it's not by power and might that we make these things work. Right? It's just like flipping the switch on the wall. It's just like pouring water into a plant. Once that's all we can do, right? After that, the water has got to do its thing. The plant's got to do its thing. All we did was pour it. Okay, that's all for today. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, I will be back again next week. And I've really pray been praying because I want to make an effort to, to talk to all of you more often than I've been in the past several months. I know I've said that before, but I, I really think it's important because every time I talk about this thing— Every time I get into this place, it's almost like what the Bible says. God says, if you will put me first, if you will look to me first, and all those other things that you've been struggling to uh, get fixed and, and get into place and to get changed, all those things will, will fall into place. Everything will be added to you. Don't be thinking about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. For, for me, the challenge has always been business. I've always found uh, business to be very distracting and now I decided, you know what, I really need to put God's business right up there first and so that he can take care of my business. Give God my time and he'll give me the time back that I've been losing doing business-related stuff. Anyway, that's all again for today. I look forward to hearing or to talking with you again soon. God bless you and have a great day.